0: The GOP needs to wake up and learn how to fight back. Plus, Donald Trump indicted. Let's talk about that. Instead of focusing on winning arguments, we're teaching the basic fundamentals of sales and marketing and how we can use them to win in the world of politics, teaching you how to meet people where they're at on the issues they care about. Welcome to The Brian Nichols Show. Well, hey there folks, Brian Nichols here on The Brian Nichols Show, and thank you for joining us on, of course, another fun-filled episode. I am, as always, your humble host, joining you live from our BNC studios here in lovely eastern Indiana, and today we are talking about the GOP, in fact, just seeming to not have any intestinal fortitude when it comes to standing up and fighting back, specifically when it comes time to actually stand on some conservative principles, plus Donald Trump Tells us via Truth Social, he has been indicted for the whole uh, document fiasco of, from right now sitting President Joe, uh, Joe Biden. And are we entering into a banana republic to talk about all that and more today? Kenny Cody from Newsmax. Welcome back to The Brian Nichols Show. Brian, how are you, brother? You know i doing Oh, I'm doing great, buddy. It's great to be back in the, uh, the swing of things. I was out of town there last week for uh, my sister's wedding. So unfortunately, we didn't get a, uh, a one-on-one where we get to talk to folks about the happenings of the week. But hey, here we're going to catch up this week talking about the uh, Republicans caving when it comes to the debt ceiling. And now Donald Trump being indicted by uh, Joe Biden, uh, which is un- unheard of. And actually, it's unprecedented here when we're talking about presidential elections. So, uh, Kenny, where do you want to start kicking things off today?
1: We talk about the uh, the depth ceiling raise at first. Um, you know, I think that Kevin McCarthy had a really good repertoire going thus far. You know, talking about you, you know, I don't have any more Ukraine aid. Trying to audit aid. Trying to be fiscally responsible throughout the entirety of the legislature. Trying to you know investigate uh, things like China interference. Trying to investigate uh, you know the January sixth spending. Trying to investigate. Hunter Biden and the Biden administration's uh, link to Ukraine. So all these issues, especially since a couple of days ago, uh, by, there was a FBI document that, that uh, actually connected Biden uh, to being bribed uh, or a, being in connection to a bribe involving Barisa Burisma, I think it's called, the uh the uh, old company that uh, Hunter Biden is on the board of over in Ukraine um, so there's been a lot of issues this week but I think uh, about, about Republicans uh, in Congress the most pressing issue is the weakness of the Republican leadership in the GOP House, the weakness of uh, Kevin McCarthy those in leadership um, and the fight actually the same people you know that actually objected to Speaker McCarthy's candidacy for Speaker uh, The mainly the House Freedom Caucus speaking out against uh, the debt ceiling bill trying to raise uh, the debt, that, that ceiling limit, uh, suspending the public debt limit uh, until, I think, the January of 2024 or something like that. Um, and just a lot of Republicans that we are actually pretty fond of as, as sort of libertarian populists like me and you are. Uh, people like Thomas Massey and Marjorie Taylor Greene actually ended up voting for the bill, but people like Matt Gaetz, Lauren Boebert, Dan, Diana Harshbarger, Corey Mills, and others voted against it. So it's been a pretty div- pretty much a divide of the party and oftentimes even a divide in terms of moderates and extremists and uh, establishment politicians. You had everybody from both aisles vote for both sides of this bill. So just the contingency of the lack of collaboration and the lack of messaging, the lack of willingness to actually fight against the left and stick caving to, to, to the Democrats and the Democratic left was pretty ambivalent over the last couple of weeks. And so at this point in me, um, you know, I saw Massey's explanation of it, I saw Marjorie Taylor Greene's explanation of it, and while I understand it, I can comprehend it. I don't think, uh, you know, as a debater in college, there was this thing called cost-benefit analysis, and I'm sure you've heard that term before too, Brian, where you work with marketing. Um, I don't believe The benefits were worth the costs in this debt ceiling limit bill. And I don't really understand, even though I understand some aspects of things that were good about the debt ceiling bill. And I understand there's some things that people say that this is the best deal we could have gotten. I don't think that you would see the same cavings on the Democratic side if this is a Republican led bill. If this is a Republican led piece of legislation, you would see Democrats going well, this is the best deal we could get. We might as well do it now. They'd be finding it till the very end so Republicans look foolish and I wish we would do that as Republicans more often.
0: Yeah, if you look at the difference really between Republicans and Democrats, now I'm going to be hyper general here in my uh, my analysis, but Democrats really seem to, when when push comes to shove, pool together as a collective, which makes sense when you think about the Democratic approach and philosophy when it comes to governing and, and philosophy in, in politics. So, when you look at the Republicans, we tend to be, you know, more like herding cats. And we talk about in the libertarian circles. I mean, goodness, that's been our biggest issue forever, is that we can't really seem to come together and and kind of acknowledge that we're on this path towards a an end destination. And while there's going to be discrepancies and differences of opinions, we still are going towards this end goal. When it comes to looking at how though the republicans tend to approach these different you know whether it's bills or you know topical conversations of the day you see many different perspectives many different takes and many of those takes like you mentioned of marjorie marjorie taylor green thomas massey they make sense right they they logically make sense you're like yeah I, i understand the approach but when it comes to actually coming together as one in this case entity which would be the gop they drop the ball so let's maybe kind of change the way we're talking about this in terms of creating some recommendations to the GOP. Like, what can we do, Kenny, in order if we are putting ourselves in the shoes of the GOP to actually stand up and have a fighting chance when we're talking about taking on the the, the collective nature that is right now democratic politics?
1: Fight till the end. I mean, I, I don't understand this willingness... To, as soon as the opportunity comes available of somewhat of a bipartisan opportunistic side that the Democrats may offer to the Republicans, it's like we take the first available option. And I, I know that the news was saying, you know, Speaker McCarthy was meeting meeting different times and canceled his meeting because he was so mad about the deal that was presented. But he still ended up doing the same thing we thought he would do. And that's cave. And I don't really understand this. We are not in a term in a era of bipartisanship. And I really don't know how to uh, early explain that. And we're going to get into that here in a few minutes. I think when we talk about the Trump indictment, but we are not at a period where centrism and bipartisanship should be prioritized. And I know we have a slim majority in the house. I know we don't have a majority at all in the U S Senate, but the very fact that more of a percentage of those neocon, neocons in the GOP Senate majority, more of a percentage of their caucus voted against this debt ceiling bill than in the House where we have majority is so telling of how weak Republicans are across the country. Mm -hmm. We had people like Rand Paul, Mike Lee, Josh Hawley, J.D. Vance, all speaking out against this bill, the people who we rely on the most in terms of the U.S. Senate actually embodying populist values, embodying libertarian values, abiding and fighting for liberty and freedom actually saying this debt ceiling bill is ridiculous. This should not pass. There was 35 of the, I think 48 of the GOP senators that spoke and, and voted against this bill. And you're telling me, that more of a percentage of the GOP Senate minority who me and you both ostracize about more than anybody in the country in being weak and saying that we're going to give the Democrats whatever they want. They're led by Mitch McConnell, who caves to Joe Biden more than he hardly caved to Donald Trump. You're telling me that that body was braver than the House GOP? That's insane to me, Brian. Like, I don't understand how we are in a period now. Where we have the power, we have the control of the House majority, and we still can't get what we want. Mm-hmm. We still can't show fortitude. And we have all these disagreements, all these divides amongst the GOP caucus in the House, who is the most representative of Republican voters and Republican values across the country because it is meant to be the most representative. And we still cannot collaborate, get together, and actually fight against the people who hate us. They hate us, Brian. And I don't really know how else to explain to Republicans who want a better deal, and this is the best deal that we could have gotten. McCarthy did good. No. No. No man, these people hate our guts, and they won't give us anything we ever want when we're in the minority. Can you name one thing that Republicans got when Nancy Pelosi and and he or you know other speakers of the House? I think there's Des Pelosi has been the speaker last twenty years, but whenever Pelosi has been in the majority and been the House speaker, I can't name one thing Republicans have ever gotten. But now we're giving the Democrats whatever we want after the idea that for some reason we're caving to Joe Biden and his administration. As soon as we get the power, and this is the same thing John Boehner did, the same thing Paul Ryan did, the last strong speaker we had was Newt Gingrich, and that and that was because he was the, a majority leader during the Democratic administration of Bill Clinton, actually got us a lot of good economic spending packages, was saving us money, had the best economy in the last 20 years because he actually fought for Republican values against a Democratic administration who was socialist, and I don't really understand this idea that we have to get the best option available. No. Be like New Gingrich in that House majority in the 1990s and the early 2000s and fought. Don't, you don't have to cave. I don't know what president Kevin McCarthy and all, these, all these, these GOP leaders are going off of. The only time we've ever got anything done in the House majority is when we actually fought the Democratic administration in the 1990s against Bill Clinton, and we won. So why in the world
0: are we caving now? It makes absolutely no sense to me. Now, let me play devil's advocate because this has been the argument I've heard from some, we shall say, moderate uh, the, the Republicans in the, the House uh, caucus, but also a lot of those representatives in purple states. Hey, Kenny, if we're trying to win elections, I got to be able to go back to my district, which is a purple district, and say like, hey, I'm not one of those crazy, insane conservatives who's going to walk us off a financial cliff. What's the, uh, the take there for those uh, congressional representatives in those purple districts?
1: They don't care. i go ahead to tell you the independents don't know what the debt ceiling is. They don't care what the debt ceiling is. They're not going to pay attention to the news and say, well, this Republican voted against the debt ceiling, so now I'm going to vote against them." No independent with a right mind is saying that. If that's their one issue, I bet that is about 0.1% of voters in swing districts across the United States. Do you know what does hurt? Is these Republicans and these weak Republicans who may get primaried now. Because they voted for this bill. Like, I've already seen people who are going to try and primary. Like, I know we have the Laura Loomers of the world who said they're going to move to Georgia and primary Marjorie Taylor Green. That's not going to happen. But you actually have a guy in Kentucky. I actually forget his name. He ran, I think he ran for office or was speculating room for office the last couple of, of months or the past couple of years in this election. And he's thinking about primarying Thomas Massey solely for this bill. Like I don't think Massey has a chance of losing, but the fact that there's even conversations in primarying the most libertarian, small government conservative in the House, I can only imagine how other Republicans in these swing districts or even heavy Republican districts feel. The only people who cared about this happening were Democrats in strong Democratic districts and strong blue districts and Republicans in strong Republican districts. Those in the swing districts, they're not going to look at the debt ceiling bill and go, well, because they voted, raise the debt ceiling, which a lot. And then this is not a, and that's not being de- a detrimental against voters. I'm not saying this in offense, but even I don't understand the, the, all the inconsistencies of of what the debt ceiling means. Like I understand uh, on a basic economic level and I understand what it means in terms of the house of house rules, packages, in terms of economic packages, all that kind of stuff trying to get passed and trying to get spending packages passed. But the problem is, is that people who do know what it means are the ones that think that it shouldn't have been voted for the ones that did the the Democrats that didn't know what it meant is looking at this as a vote and a and a win over the Republicans and swing voters are like, you know I can understand both sides so if you can't uh, if you can understand both sides, why did you vote against the fiscally conservative move? Why did you vote to give a win to the Democrats and the minority? Again, I don't understand like I told people before like my friend Jimmy Fasion is the Tennessee House Republican caucus chair right now okay? So we had the whole Tennessee expulsion of the Tennessee three, right? Like a few, a few, like a couple months back over the gun violence protest. and they got expelled from the House. And I was telling people, like, you, you don't think he's he, he should be nervous? Republicans should be nervous in the state? No, because it's elephants in comparison to ants. That's all the Democrats in Tennessee are. They have a seventy, they have a twenty-five member or around a, tw- a mid twenties members in the House in the uh, Tennessee House representatives, and the GOP has seventy-two. Okay. They shouldn't be scared because Tennessee is a strong red state. In the same way, Republicans shouldn't cave to Democrats because they're in the minority. We actually won the House, and we're not drawing a clear line between what economic differences there are between Democrats and Republicans because there is no line. For some reason, we caved again. It looks like we all agree on economics, and we don't. So why did we cave this time when we actually control a chamber? It, It aggravates me so bad that Republicans support this caving the moderates swing state people whatever vote how they have to but our problem was, was with these strong Republicans who have never voted for any sort of economic spending package I mean I get Don Bacon doing it right from Nebraska I got I got it I understand why he does it I understand why the new the new New York members did it. Michael Oliver who beat uh, Don Malone I get it but the problem is we had Republicans in our plus 35 districts that voted for this thing the fact that Kevin McCartney can't wrangle these cats is insane to me and we've got to start fighting back. And I don't know how many times I have to say it, we have got to start fighting like Democrats. I wish we were more like Democrats in that way in strategic power. I don't understand why we don't
0: do it. Yeah, you've said that many a time on the show. Republicans need to be more like Democrats when it comes to actually getting things done. And I guess, you know, one of the questions that's going to be up there right now for Republicans is, is Kevin McCarthy the future for the Republican Congress? Is he going to continue to be the House Speaker? Because uh, part of the deal that was uh, established when the, the Freedom Caucus and some of the more weary conservatives did, in fact, vote for Kevin McCarthy's speakership. Was that he was going to toe the line and and really listen to this conservative faction? And if he didn't, there was just enough of those members who you know they signaled their distaste towards the McCarthy speakership that they could do a, a more or less a vote of no confidence and and switch up the speakership. So this is going to you know absolutely carry through the rest of this year into the elections. Uh, I'm curious to see where things head. This actually kind of spe- goes hand in hand too in terms of you know. talking about fighting back. Uh, Let's go towards our other topic of the day, Kenny, and that is Donald Trump indicted for uh, classified documents that he brought back to Mar-a-Lago, Mar-a-Lago, when he uh, left the White House there in 2020. Uh, Joe Biden's DOJ saying this is a big no-no, despite the fact that Joe Biden himself as vice president and senator uh, basically did the same thing, only he did it in a more egregious fashion. So, man, Kenny, I mean, I don't want to make the doom and gloom reach reach over the show here today, but is this not Banana Republic stuff or what?
1: It is. Um, you know, I think I said on, on, on the last show, I, I was talking about, well, it was either the last show the, show, the show before, when we were talking about the DeSantis-Trump battle, and I tweeted it day too. I want the candidate who the nanny state, the establishment, the bureaucracy hates the most. And that's not more ambivalent of who is going to be a candidate than Donald Trump. And I, And I don't understand... They're like Mitt Romney and Mike Pence and Chris Christie and also Asa Hutchinson have all come out and say, well, justice will prevail. We need to move on from Donald Trump. And I keep on saying, why? Like, why do we need to move on from Donald Trump? Because the FBI and the CIA said so. Because he's doing things that Presidents Bush and Obama and Biden have done because he took documents back that had no dangerous implications. And even if he did, all he had to do was say, I want executive privilege and I want these documents. All he had to do was declassify them. He could have kept them. So why is this that big of a deal? I'll tell you why it's that big of a deal. It's because they don't want him to have the nomination. Because I think that there's this fear, even if there's a small percentage, even if Democrats think that Donald Trump isn't going to win the election in 2024. And there's Republicans that think that. There's independents that think that. There are opponents, analysts, whatever, that think that he's not going to be the president in 2024. But there's always 2016. They don't want what happened in 2016 to happen again. Even if they don't think he's going to win, they don't want to risk it. Because he. they know now that he will gut every single nanny state department, every single deep state department, and the United States government to its bare bones if he gets president again. And that's what I want. He has already said that he will gut the CIA, gut the FBI, hopefully gut the ATF gut the NSA, and gut the DOJ. That's what they fear the most, Brian. They fear that if this man gets the presidency, even if they think it's a small percentage, even if they would rather go against him than DeSantis, they don't want him. They don't want him to be the the nominee. And I can't see any other reason why this man is being targeted the way he is. In a row, like that, Eugene Carroll case, the the New York case, the Georgia case is coming up, where he called and wanted votes or whatever that's going to be. What you are allowed to do for the First Amendment. So I don't really understand why. I do understand. I'll I'll, I'll rephrase that. I do understand why it's happening. Everybody is is so scared right now, and I mean it makes me nervous too. A former Republican president is being targeted the way he is by the people who are perceived and that we pay to protect us against terror. But it also makes me excited because if they fear him this much, it gives me confidence for 2024. They they know there is some because I'll say this as much as I hate those three departments that we talked about. They know the American people probably better than we, than we know ourselves in a lot of ways. So if they fear him this much, they know there has to be a chance that he has a chance at the not at the not only the nomination, but at the general election in 2024. And if that part's true, there's no other candidate that I hope can gut the Danny State than Donald Trump. And I hope he gets another opportunity to do that.
0: So I'm going to I'm going to follow up on this with a question with regards Mm -hmm. to how this impacts Trump's uh, prospects here for 2024. But first, Kenny, I got to give my pushback. Right. Because as much as I have liked some of the things that Trump has done when he was in the White House, there's also a lot. I'm like, well, where did why didn't you take care of this in the first four years? I understand he was trying to run for re-election. I understand that he was you know trying to put air quotes the the best people he could in positions that he thought would help you know help him take reign of the administrative state. But we've seen time and again. This administrative state continuously turn against him. And I guess, Kenny, I just I'm a little jaded when I look at what Trump did, not only when he was in the White House, but frankly when he left the White House, having the opportunity to pardon Julian Assange and Edward Snowden instead of giving the Medal of Freedom to Anthony Fauci and Deborah Burks. So I, I'm a little cautious, maybe a lot of cautiousness there, in terms of Trump actually being serious and doing something about this. What has changed, in your opinion, from his 2016 to 2020 reign as president to what would take place from 2024 to 2028 if he were to be uh, reelected here?
1: I think that in second terms, I mean, you see it with so many presidents. You see it with so many politicians, even. I mean, even on the outskirts of these senators who are trying to get up to their last term, they have announced retirement or they have announced this is their last term. For example, I'm sure you're aware of George Santos from New York, right, Brian? Yes. Okay, so if you look at his voting record, it is among the best. Even though he won, he was plus eight, and he won by eight points in a Biden district, he is voting the way he wants to. He is voting as basically a, liber- a small government guy. He's not voting as a moderate. He's not trying to win over voters in New York. Do you know why that is? It's because he doesn't care. He knows he's done. He knows it's over. I, and, and while I like George Santos, he follows me on Twitter. And I DM him sometimes. I <laughs> send him articles. But I like George Santos. But in, in in a lot of ways, mainly because of his voting record. But the reason he doesn't he he votes the way he does is because he doesn't care, and that's the way Trump's going to be in a second term of his presidency. Once you get elected to a second term, you get whatever you want done. Basically, if you have any sort of control in the Senate and the House, and I think if Trump were to win in 2024, in some way that is going to give us some sort of power because you hardly can win the presidency while losing the Senate and the House. So if Trump wins in 2024, that means he has won the House or he has won the Senate, won the two or both. Um, So if he gets a second term. I've seen it so many times, especially in terms of, of governorships and gubernatorial races, when a governor is on the last outskirts in states that like limit terms. Like if you look at Billy in Tennessee, if you look at Ron DeSantis in Florida in their second term, they can do whatever they want because they're not running for reelection again because they're prohibited to. So if Trump is, is going to run for the, this election, run to be the Republican a nominee run to be the president again. If he wins, he is going to go scorched earth on the government. He is going to go scorched earth on the very intricacies of the government. The men you despise, in terms of spying on Americans. I mean, I I, I understand. I understand that you know he gave the Medal of Freedom to Fauci and Burks instead of pardoning Julian Assange and Edward Snowden. I I get all that, and that's a fair criticism. But that was still, I think that there, there is the argument that that was still in his first term. He was still on the outskirts. He was still trying to wait to wait as much as he could to see what's going to happen with the elections. The election took, you know, two months, basically, to be, be confirmed, it sounded like, at least, um, so I think that in a second term he is the candidate that's going to go scorched earth on the establishment and I know that uh, libertarians and independents are so sick of hearing that you know he, he appointed Christopher Way and he appoint he you know make sure that Attif Fachi had power and Burks and John Bolton and a lot 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 I get it um, but that was still the first term of his presidency. In 2018, he had control of neither the House. No, uh, they didn't have control of the House and barely had control of the Senate, actually lost the Senate in 2020. Um, I think if he's given another opportunity to do this, and he's made such definitive, specific statements, and I, th- I don't think that was true in 2020, and I barely think it was true, true in 2016 because I don't think that Trump is really familiar with the intricacies of the deep state, the intricacies of federal departments until he was president. And I think that he would have gutted. If he would have won in 2020, he would have gutted the the federal departments. He He wasn't afforded the opportunity to because I think he had experience in them. And I think there comes a point where you have to kind of realize, like, he's unhinged in a lot of ways. And I think that that's why a lot of Republicans and independents don't like him is because he is unpredictable. And I think unpredictable is the best sort of candidate we can have as we've seen examples of in, I would like more unhinged representatives in the U S house to fight against the (laughs) debt ceiling bill, um, to be quite honest with you. So everybody tells me he's unhinged. He's crazy. He's going to ruin the country uh, I, I don't know about ruining the country, but if, if ruining the government means eliminating these or gutting these departments down to their bare bones, you know, he spoke out against the IRS. He spoke out against the FBI. He is. I'll, I'll say this and I'll, I'll make the definitive statement. I don't think it, it can hardly besides maybe Vivek Ramaswamy right now. But by a Republican presidential candidate, I don't know if I've ever heard such strict and stripping language as Donald Trump has used in his 2024 pr- primary campaign. And when it comes to gutting federal departments, I don't know that I've ever heard it. Ron Paul, maybe Ron Paul in 08, Ron Paul in 2012 may have been close. But I think we have more evidence now than we've ever had that the DOJ, the FBI, the CIA and the IRS are can target conservatives. and can target Republicans, can target political opposition. And now that we have that evidence and we've heard so many specific statements by Trump that he is going to gut them. I think that I believe him and I, and I don't know if I could say that hardly for, besides Ron Paul. I don't know if I could, I can go back and look and see if I can see that ever in American history where that definitive sort of statements he has made on true social and in his campaign videos of how he's going to combat the deep state and combat the federal departments that me and you despise. I don't know if that's ever happened before in, in, in American history. And that's why I, th- I think that it's made me. Even more of a Trump supporter if I wasn't before. Like it's made me more invigorated to support him, and I think that's going to be telling for all Republicans across the country. Like they're seeing this before their very eyes on CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, Newsmax, OAN, whatever you whatever you watch, you're seeing it every single day. You're seeing the coverage of them indicting this man and targeting the president instead of fighting terror and looking at what school shooting might happen next. They're targeting a president for holding documents in his vacation home. So I think there's more evidence now than ever before that if we allow this madman whom I love to be back in the white house, I think we're going to see a gutting of federal apartments like we've never seen before.
0: And this goes to part two of my question, Kenny, and that is the electability question. Will this in fact hurt or help Donald Trump's chances in 2024, my gut opinion, I think, is kind of where you were just kind of leading us here on your uh, your last response there, and that is, I think this is going to help Trump, frankly, because a lot of folks are seeing this for what it is, and if you're talking about your average voter, I, I mean, go out there and you tell them what's taking place, yeah, I think a lot of them, while they might may, may not have the, the personal favor towards Trump, they see this for what it is, it's a political attack. And it just feels dirty, right? It just feels like this this you know current administration is weaponizing the Department of Justice to go after a political rival, and that's not supposed to be who we are. And I personally believe, excuse me, that that's going to help Trump as he moves forward here in 2024. And uh, if anything, it's going to help him isolate himself from the rest of the GOP field because Ron DeSantis is not having the DOJ go after him. Nikki, Nikki Haley's not having the DOJ go after her. So I, I really do believe This is going to help uh, Trump's prospects for the GOP primary, but also for the uh, 2024 general election. Kenny, what say you?
1: I think for the primary, especially. I mean,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. let's let's do a formula, okay? When a when about three to four of the top presidential candidates have to come out in support of another presidential candidate, that's usually not good, right? Like Vivek Ramaswamy, Ron DeSantis. and I think, like, Perry Johnson and a couple others had to speak up and say this is wrong. I mean, you have Chris Christie and Hutchinson or whoever say, saying that this shouldn't be happening, right? Whatever, that this should be happening, right? He's, they supported the indictment. Um, but when you have the top three of the top four, more than likely, or two of the top four, and uh, DeSantis and, and Ramaswamy saying, I will pardon Trump if something happened to him, and I would ensure that the United States is gutted and they would never come out for Republicans, the DOJ shouldn't be weaponized, whatever, the fact that they have to come out and say, "Hey, we're we're supporting Trump on this. We're going against the government." The fact that he the Trump's being supported by his opponents is pretelling about where the primary is going to go. That's gonna. It basically means that Donald Trump's gonna be the twenty twenty four presidential nominee, and these guys are just placing for second, third, and fourth, and fifth, I guess, and trying to fight for cabinet spots. I'm I'm supposing, so. That, um, especially with primary voters, Republicans being invigorated, trying to go out and say, I, it, there's going to be Republicans, I guarantee you, that, that were saying, I, I was kind of like we should move on for Trump. But now I think where the DOJ and everybody's trying to go after him, we should just piss them off and try to go to, at, at them again with the same guy because they evidently hate him this much. You're going to have those Republicans. You're going to have the moderate Republicans who are going to go out in droves and vote, vote for Donald Trump in the primary in um, the general election scope. I think you're also going to have that because here's the thing. If you look at polling, and I forgot who actually did this, but in that first New York indictment um, when New York endowed and Donald Trump, they did polling. And I think around like 61 percent of independents thought it was politically motivated. Huh. I mean, de- now, Democrats were so weird about it because it, they were asked, like, do you support the indictment? They're like, yes. And then they go, Do you, is it politically motivated? And they're like, also, yes. And that just shows <laughs> insanity. Um, but I, Republicans, of course, knocking 95 and 90 are like a supporting and then saying it's politically motivated. But the fact that the more important number there is the independents, right? Like the, if the independents think that it's politically motivated, that basically means that they believe that the Biden administration is in terms corrupt and the Democrats are corrupt. That's the interpretation of that. While they may think Trump's not the best guy in the world, they may not think that he has the best chance. They may, they may think that he says some foolish things and does some foolish things sometimes. If if you believe that Donald Trump is being targeted by the DOJ and the FBI and the CIA, that also kind of means you're saying Biden is using his tools to corrupt his opponent. Mm-hmm. In terms, that probably translates to votes in some sort of fashion with independence. And I think that that's really going to be the determining factor. It, well, two determining factors. Invigorate Republicans to come out in the primary, and then invigorate Republicans to come out in the general and say we're, we we may not like this guy. We may, well, I won't say like we may not think that this is the guy for right now, but not. But they pissed us off so much that we're going to get him again, and we're going to piss you off like twenty sixteen. You're going to have those Republicans that come out and droves for him, including me, and then you're going to have independents who are saying I don't like either of these guys. Right? That's the way that most independents think because. I don't know who said it, but I think there was a, there was a, a poll that said the independents believe that the Trump indictment was politically motivated back when it was in New York, right? So in terms of independents being motivated to think that Biden is corrupt, think that the Biden administration is corrupt, that's going to be the determining factor. And I think that if the indictment entices Republicans to turn out, I think in the same way that if the independents are going to the, to the, the ballot booth, and saying undecided voters, because undecided voters overall, I'm, I'm not trying to alienate anybody, okay? Because I know there's probably undecided voters that are turning into your uh, podcast, right? Especially Libertarian Party people um, that may vote for D- Trump, Biden, or the LP nominee. But it, undecided voters oftentimes are viewed as some of the most misinformed in, in terms of news, right? Like not being aware of news stories, not being aware of policy, all that kind of stuff. Because, like I said, I'm not saying that not being biased and not trying to be hateful towards undecided voters. But if you convince those people that the indictment is politically motivated in terms, they think something negative about the other candidate while they may say, Hey, Trump did some stupid things. Trump did some, you know, corrupt things, whatever. If they really believe that the Biden administration was weaponizing federal departments against the presidential candidate, that's probably going to translate into votes, especially on the undecided voter side and the independent side. So, all in all, I think that the indictment helps. Um, I, I think this is probably, at least to me, the weakest uh, indictment so far. I think the New York indictment is pretty weak. I think the E. Jean Carroll case is pretty weak. I think that the files, uh, the files indictment is pretty weak. Uh, the Georgia case is probably the strongest case in terms of trying to get them to change votes or whatever and him being on recording and calling the Secretary of State and stuff. Uh, I understand all that, but... I still think that's weak. That's probably the strongest case there is, even though I don't think any of the of the four indictments are going to, in reality, matter. Um, but I think this is just another cog in the machine. I, th- I think that this indictment, if anything, because you don't see Democrats supporting it, right? I mean, you see some generic statements and saying, "Hey, you know, Trump's corrupt." Yay, we got him! Like you're going to see those troll accounts and those who have all those followers on Twitter, but don't work for anybody. Um, you see that a lot. But you're not seeing these are these Democrat politicians going, yeah, get him, because they know, like they know in their hearts that like this is corrupt, mm. like this is a weaponization of power, like that's all this is. This is a politicization of federal departments. This is a weaponization of federal department power, and they're not going to be celebrating that because they know that independents aren't going to be be you know invigorated going, hey, yeah, they got Trump finally. Now I'm going to go vote Democrat. Like that's not working with independent voters. So overall. I think it's going to help Republicans. I think it's going to help Trump, especially in the primary. And I think Democrats are continuing to shoot themselves in the foot in these uh, local districts.
0: The walls are closing in, Kenny. How many times have we hear that from 2016 to 2020? Uh, is it true this time? I doubt it. And to your point, I think a lot of the Democrats that are in office right now know that as well. But unfortunately, Kenny, we got to go ahead and put a pin in the conversation today. But have no fear, folks. If you enjoy these one-on-ones with Kenny and yours truly, we can catch these every single week here on the Brian Nichols Show, part of Kenny's, uh, Cody's concerns there. So uh, if you guys want to go ahead and make sure you don't miss a single time, Kenny and I had this conversation. Well, please, uh, a couple things. Number one, go ahead head to uh, your favorite podcast catcher, whether that's Podchaser, Spotify, YouTube Music, which we've been getting tons of downloads over on YouTube Music. Make sure you hit that subscribe button and notification bell so you don't miss a single time. We have a brand new episode, hit your RSS feed, but also we are on uh, video platforms as well, like YouTube, like Rumble, and Ben Swans, Sovereign. And by the way, if you go ahead and catch us out on Sovereign, you're getting the episodes before anybody else does as a Sovereign exclusive. So head over there and also support some independent media. But if you are joining us here, on on youtube do me a favor hit that little notification bell and uh, hit a like button as well give us uh, some support here on the show and by the way if you are uh, joining us here as a returning uh, viewer we'll have no fear we're going to continue the conversation so you can get all the cody's concerns uh, continue here on youtube you should be seeing our episode from not last week but the week prior where we talked about yes trump versus desantis head to head should be popping up right about here and poor kenny keeps on losing his uh, his signals so i will say goodbye for kenny here on today's episode but we with that being said, Brian Nichols signing off. You're on The Brian Nichols Show for the one and only, Kenny Cody. We'll see you next time. I lost you again, Kenny.
1: Thanks for listening to The Brian Nichols Show. Find more episodes at briannicholsshow.com.